I think I neglected to introduce myself as one of the assistant pastors here, uh, Steve. The other pastor, Steve. There's two of us. And in fact, as we get in the word this morning, we have to bring ourselves back two weeks ago when he taught Hebrews chapter 5 as we're ready now to get into chapter 6. But let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless this time. Father, we do come this morning seeking you, Jesus. By your spirit, bring clarity, bring awareness, understanding, truth to our hearts, Lord, by your word. May we not this morning leave here confused or anxious. May we not come, um, Lord, burdened that you do not now comfort and relieve us by the truths that you reveal in what you have done for us and the confidence we can have, Jesus, in entering into your rest yet once again by what your scripture says. So help us this morning to um, put those distractions away as Katie just prayed that, Lord, we would not uh, hear any voice but yours. We would not be consumed with any thought but those thoughts of heaven above. And by your grace, we would understand all the more who we are in you and you are to us by all you've done, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. As I said, a couple weeks ago, we went through uh, chapter 5 and... Man, this morning we especially need clarity because this is a difficult chapter. Well, I say that in the sense that over my period of ministering, I have had believers come to me very anxious, very fearful about what they thought this was saying to them. And there definitely is a warning here. And I am not going to in any way dilute it from what our Heavenly Father would say to us about it. But I want us also to understand the, um, the truth and the peace and the assurance he is seeking to give us by what the word is telling us this morning and not to leave us somehow hanging with this, this anxiousness, right? And um, so we're, we're going to get right into it. Uh, two weeks ago, as Pastor Steve did bring chapter 5, he concluded with the last few verses there. And I want to pick up there because it is very important as we go into chapter 6 that you keep context. Who, what, why, and the assurance of applying what the scripture is saying to us so that you don't take this out of context and then think it's saying something that it's not, right? So we just want to keep that thought. And so we're going to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 5 where the author is basically rebuking those Hebrew now believers, Christians, Because they were being seduced, they were being drawn away, they were being um, compromised in their rest, faith, and hope alone in Christ to going back to what they knew before B.C. days. The religious, the ritual, the sacrificial, the Jewish way of doing things or the Hebrew way of doing things. And so the author is writing this desperate plea and it's important for us to remember that even though as we're, you know, as we're addressed in this along with them as brethren, the beloved, it is terms of those that are in Christ. So again, we pay attention and we, we take note because we have all come from a BC day, a before Christ day. And, and I would even refer to them as strongholds of the devil sometimes that he gets in and reminds us and our flesh gets drawn back to a way that we can do something about our salvation and we can find more security in those old things that really Paul said are dung to him and he he, he looking, he, he's looking to forget those things that lay behind and press forward now to the upward call of what it is to actually be in Christ. So that's where we want to find ourselves this morning. So verse 12 of chapter 5 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the full principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, again, we have those that the author is rebuking. By this time, by this time, your Christian walk absolutely should be in a place where we could go deeper. We should be able to talk about the deep things. And he just kind of touched on Melchizedek, on Christ being our high priest. And these are all things he's saying, man, this is what I'd like to talk to you about, except I can't. You're not ready for solid food. You are unskilled in the word. Why? Well, verse 11 really is where I should have started because that reveals it to us. Since you have become dull of hearing. Now, when it says dull of hearing, don't think of like muffled. Like they, they just weren't able to hear clearly from the pulpit because the mic wasn't working well that day. And that's not what it's talking about. The word actually means slow, sluggish, indolent which means wanting to avoid activity, slothful. (laughs) Have you ever watched a sloth? I won't do that because you know how you know how long my messages go anyway. But anyway, that's the idea here. They had become like sloths. They didn't want the activity. And the activity they had, they were sluggish in getting to and going about the father's business. You know, and so the warning here is real, right? That's why the author is like, "Ah, you guys are so frustrating to me." I want to move past this, and, 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 and yet here you still are stuck in this immaturity, this needing, this, this drinking milk stage, when we should be moved on to solid foods. Now, you know, I had my three kids, and now my kids are all having their kids. And, you know, you have that child, and, you know, yes, there is that nursing stage, and yes, then you mix a little formula in with that bottle, and then all of a sudden, ooh, you get to use rice milk, you know, and it gets, it just gets more and more exciting because a little, little something, something goes in the mix, you know. But you just can't wait until you can all sit down as a family and eat the same food, you know, till we're really on the same page with this. And, and so, just like we want our kids to mature, we, once we fed Rihanna a bottle, now we get to see Rihanna feeding Adela a bottle. It's just, it goes on. Life keeps moving forward in maturity. Well, God is no different with his children. You just got saved. You, man, you, you know that by, by grace now you stand before the throne of God. It is all because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've entered into that rest, right? And now he would say, now get diligent. Now start to grow in the next things, right? I want you to mature. I want you to, by reason of use, and that basically is a term in the Greek that means practice what you read. Practice what he preaches. Practice what my spirit now makes reality to you and truth, that you'd walk in that. And so, again, you're, you're listening, you're learning, but you're walking by faith. That's what this is so much all about, right? In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So can we all agree that is why we here study the word of God? It is to increase, strengthen, refine, correct, um, build your faith. That you would learn, you'd listen, you'd learn, and then you'd walk out of here and apply to your life. You don't just turn it off. You don't just say, well, that was interesting today. Oh, you know, it didn't go too long. Oh, that was funny when he said that, you know. But you actually go, what is that? What's my takeaway here today? What is God saying to me? Because this is God breathed. So as I read it, you're not hearing from me my opinion or how I feel about it. You are literally able to open your ears and hear God speak. Is it for you? What is it about this? This is for you. This is absolutely what we should be about. There's no way to avoid it. There is no shortcut through it. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And again, that's that's 2 Timothy 2.15, that we are to be like diligent students studying 
what? I thought I just had to show up on Sunday. Once in a while, I give it a Wednesday a shot, you know, but really, really, it's between you and God. Now, we all meet together corporately a couple times a week, maybe even more than that. If you go to ladies' study, you go to men's study, we're engaged with each other, right? We do life together because we are a body of believers that Christ has raised up. But we individually need to be about growing up in his word. Therefore, as we begin chapter 6, it begins by saying, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Another word for that is maturity. So this is not about perfect life. This is about growing up, right? Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance, of dead works, and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying out of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance." since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth, which drinks in the rain and often, that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful to those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, those or whose end is to be burned. That's where it gets difficult, isn't it? And it's really easy to read this and think, oh, oh my, my, my. So let's see what God wants his children to truly understand. He concludes with, again, therefore, which is a conclusion of what he was just talking about. Those that do not grow up in the word, those that find themselves still just drinking milk and dealing with the, the, the basic principles and, and have not moved on to going deeper. Be careful if you're slothful about wanting to go deeper. God wants you deeper. Scripture says deep is called into deep. It, 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 it's just like going to Whitefish Lake. You know, you get in, the toes are a little wet, and you're like, oh, it's not too cold. Okay, go up to my ankles. Oh, you know, a little bit, you know. And then, yeah, it, and it gets a little frigid when you start walking out. It, it's definitely an eye-opening experience. That's walking with faith with God, right? You go a little deeper because that's what he's asking us to do here. And again, the importance of being in the Word to be able to do that is absolute. Now, is the author somehow contradicting himself because he was just saying up in the previous verses that they should lay again the first principles of the oracles of God because they you know, hadn't gotten them, they hadn't moved beyond them. And now he's saying, leave them behind. So is he saying, well, leave the word of God behind. I mean, come on. And there are those in pulpits who will preach that message that, well, you know, the word was good to get us there. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But now we have the Holy Spirit. So let's just move. You know, like the wind, never know where we're going, never coming from. And they'll take those scriptures out of context, like we are supposed to just kind of blow in and out. No commitment, no transformation, no convictions. And yet God's word would teach us what it is to have his heart and purpose behind the calling and the salvation that he's given us as a free gift. You know, that's what it's all about, right? So, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not spending every Sunday, every Wednesday, every meeting, getting together and talking about the elementary principles of the scriptures. What does it mean? Well, he lists six of us, six of them here. And in fact, these are really good six elementary principles for a new believer study. And if you're new to the faith, it would be good for you to study each one of these principles on your own to know that you know that you know where it says in scriptures what you're supposed to know. Because we aren't just supposed to know it, we are also supposed to be able to explain it, to share it, to give it, to teach it. I don't want to scare you, but you know, it doesn't mean you're all called to be pastors, but it does call us to give 
an answer to every man who asks for the hope in us. And that's what we've been talking about, is right, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So he talks about these elementary principles, right, that we're supposed to do. And, and what that word means is rudimentary or basic principles. It's like the ABCs of the faith. After what, and you know, if you just got saved yesterday, hey, then do not let this, you know, burden your spirit. But if you've been saved a while, you should have an answer for these things. You know, and again, what are they? He lists them for us. Repentance from dead works. Now remember, who's he speaking to? Hebrews, who are now believers, but who have not seasoned themselves, worked it diligently in the word to understand it. They're relying a lot on their past experiences, the traditions they were taught, the rituals they were brought up with, the sacrifices that are still going on in the temple that they can smell the barbecue from. And they're like, hmm, you know, that, that was kind of nice. Got to watch those things, right? Now, repentance from dead works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This is who you and I are now in Christ. We come because of God's grace, unmerited favor that he's given us, because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, whom he loved the world so much that he gave as a sacrifice on behalf of us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a truth that we need absolutely to understand. Now, repentance, of course, means turning from. So we have turned from our old life. We have turned from our sin. As Jesus told the adulterous woman caught, woman, go, where are your accusers? I'm not going to accuse you, but go and sin no more. We now have the Spirit of God living in us, who one of the fruits of the love that he brings to us is, praise God, self-control. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man, but God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. Do you take it? See, these are things you have to come to that understanding of, right? Of also faith towards God. Now, we talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago when we were going through the beginning of this book, but again, jumping to Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible impossible, we're going to talk about that word again today, to please God, to please him, right? For he who comes to God must believe that he is. You have a a revelation that God is true, that Jesus is God, and that you need him as a savior, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God has done it all for you. It is finished. Do you believe it? Right? Or let me put it this way. Do you have evidence in your life that you believe it? How you now respond, how you move, how you think, how you act. Is there an evidence to that? There should be, right? Of the doctrine of the teachings of baptisms. What? Baptisms? Plural, not singular. Yes, First command Jesus gives us, go into all the world with disciples, baptizing them. Here, I'm just going to talk like we've all understood this truth and we've all gone down that road. Once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you get baptized. Can you explain why? Do you know that it's not the washing away of sin in your life? Didn't clean you up any to be baptized. No. First Peter 3.21 makes that clear. It was your way of identifying with Jesus Christ, who was dead and buried for you and all your sin, and then who rose again the third day as you come up out of the water in now the newness of life. It is your way of publicly proclaiming the inner cleansing that Christ has now done by your spirit being rebirthed, your soul being cleansed, your righteousness now being the righteousness of God in him. That's the proclamation of baptism. Can you explain it? Can you talk about it? You should be able to, right? But it's not just that baptism. It's also the baptism by fire. The Holy Spirit fire, right? He talks about, John the Baptist talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. That that baptism that Jesus was going to bring, the epi-experience, 
right? That all the, all the disciples, all the disciples that had received the Holy Spirit when Jesus blew upon them after his resurrection were told to go to Jerusalem and tarry and wait until that promise comes upon you. Then you're going to be ready to step out and do some ministry work for me. Can you explain that? Do you know the difference? Because there is. And yet some would stand behind a pulpit this morning and tell you there's not. They tell you, oh, no, we were all baptized by the same water. It was all one big experience. Um, it's, you, you know, that's, we don't need that kind of thing anymore. And those kind of gifts don't happen anymore. And I don't see that in the scriptures. Why? Because I've moved beyond the elementary principles of this. And I've studied it because I wanted to know. I don't want to believe some guy in a green shirt standing behind a pulpit telling me what's up with God. I want by his Holy Spirit him to tell me. And he does. He will. And that's what he's asking all of us to do this morning. It's like, know this, right? The laying on of hands. The spiritual truth of the power of God and the privilege of being used by him. Everybody go like this. This is not a Pentecostal moment. I just want you to realize you got two of them and God wants you to use them. It's a privilege to lay those hands on somebody else. We say that all the time in ministry, don't we? We, Potter's Field says it all the time. We're going to go be be the hands and feet of Jesus. But most Christians are keeping their hands in their pocket. They might walk over to an experience that God would have them to have, but they're not going to extend themselves to have his power come through them. And yet how potent is it when God would prompt you by his spirit to just walk over there, talk to that person, offer to lay hands on them. They're a sinner. They, I don't, I don't, they don't even know if they believe. Maybe that's exactly why he wants you to prove him by manifesting his spirit to move upon them by you laying your hands on them. I don't know. I just know that we're told to do it. Gosh, I remember so many times, especially as a new pastor, young pastor. I don't know, I wasn't that young. But anyway, as you know, 30 years ago almost, 20-some years ago, being in Chicago. And, of course, this was a time when all the kids were home when I first stepped up in ministry. But I remember, in my, you know, I had my office at home in my study. And, 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 and my style is just my style is that I prepare my study the night before. I'm in the Word. I'm alone with God. The phones don't ring, and it's me and him. And I'm getting it so that I can come and give it the next morning. It's just the way that my brain and and how I function works really well. Well, at least try to make it work well. Anyway, so I'd find myself, of course, struggling in the Scriptures or or just uh, you know, not getting it, not being able to crack the text or something just burdening me, distracting me, you know? I'm human. I go through all that too, right? And it never would fail. Rihanna, and I'm just going to pick on her because she was the last one that was the longest one that was at home with us, but she would come down, you know, to say goodnight to me. And she's like, you know, how's it going? I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of struggling, you know, just, I don't know. I, you know, it's just a little tough or whatever. And it was always so cool. It was always such a blessing. She would lay hands on me and pray. It even chokes me up to this day because that was a connection with faith that would empower me to go beyond self and who I was and what was happening to me to what the call of God was on my life and who I needed to be for others. And she was his connection to say, I'm here with you. You got this because my spirit's in you to get this. Trust me. It was so beautiful and I'm so so envious that Dana now gets to enjoy that. But anyway, <laughs> Rihanna still prays, and she's, she, it was just a blessing. But, but that, that's just what God is saying right here. That's the physical manifestation of God touching another person. He doesn't say, make sure they're born again. Make sure they got a testimony first. He just says, go. Be my hands and be my feet. Let them experience me through your faith and who you say I am and who you know who I am. And then they go, Man, like when you prayed for me, I was healed. Like that changed. I got understanding. I had wisdom. What was that? And then you get to share, right? All right, we got to move because we got so many. Resurrection of the dead. The hope that we have for eternal life. 
Jesus said, John chapter 11, you know he was talking to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, he was asking Martha, I'm asking you, do you believe it? Don't raise your hand, but let me just encourage you, provoke you to live a life that proves it. You're alive. You got Christ. You will never die. Now, physically, this body goes home to the earth where it came from and becomes ash again. But the idea that my spirit lives eternally, that my eyes close here and my spirit opens it once again in heaven before my Lord who rescued me, saved me, and sealed me by his spirit. Man, that's a truth that gives me a boldness and a freedom and a confidence that overcomes fear. Right? And this world wants us fearing. Just yesterday, right? A Jewish synagogue. Multiples shot up as they were meeting together for faith in God. Just random. Just random. You don't think it can happen here? The prince, the palities, principalities of this world are all around us seeking this morning that we don't get this. Praise God, we have a heavenly force that is greater around us than he who is in this world that is in every way wanting you to if you will only listen, if I will only receive and understand, right? We need to believe this. And then he brings up the idea of eternal judgment. Yep, we're talking about damnation. We're talking about hell. You know, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Why would that be? I mean, heaven's where we're all going. Why wouldn't he tell us more? I mean, don't you really wonder what the rooms are going to look like and stuff? You know, there's all those kind of just weird questions. No, he spoke about hell because broad is that way that leads there and many are on it to destruction. And he didn't want anyone being left out that wouldn't hear a word by his spirit drawing them to him for that hope, to get off the road, get off the path, right? And it's like, man, those who physically die without a relationship in Jesus Christ will be separated from him, God Almighty, for eternity. Eternity. How long is eternity? This is not the Bema Seat Judgment. Now, we know as believers, we're going to stand before Christ. We're going to receive reward and suffer loss for the things we did in the body. That's an event. This is eternity. That's what steers our hearts. That's what provokes us in our love. To have the heart that God had is because there is no going back. There is no second chance. There's only the remembrance And they will remember all the opportunity they had for the rescue and never took it. See, does that stir you up? Does that provoke you? Man, it should. Because this is the white throne judgment. Talks about it. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. Now, these are all important doctrines that we should know. But again, the author is saying, but... Move beyond them. If we talked about them every week, everybody out here would be a a milk sucker. We wouldn't be moving on for individual calling and purpose of God's spirit in our lives because you wouldn't be hearing anything relevant. You wouldn't be understanding, oh, 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 that's for me. That's for me. And the author even says, let us move on from this if God permits. A better way to say that in our language is that we will do this as God helps us. That's a better way to understand what that. It's not like, do you think God really wants us moving on? We know from the totality of scriptures that he does. That's why we don't do topicals here. Now, you can be blessed by a topical teaching. Some pastor can have... um, an issue that he wants to deal with. Certainly you can get blessed because God's word doesn't return void. And if you're listening to it and you're going to get what it says out of it, then you're going to hear something that you're going to be able to go, yes and amen. Trouble with topicals is they don't always include everything. 
And so you don't get what maybe needs to minister to your life that specific day or in that specific circumstance. Or, God forbid, the pastor should have a certain hobby horse that he wants to ride all the time. And so he's going to lean the scriptures towards only telling you one side of the story. Right? It's like these verses today. I've read them. There's some challenging verses to understand. I'm not going to say they don't say what they appear to say. What I want to say is what I believe they are saying without me giving you personal interpretation. But why did God write this to us? Why did he say it to us, right? So in every way, we need to study. And by the way, just to point out there, when he begins this, therefore, leaving the discussion of these elementary principles. That word leaving, it's in the aorist tense Greek, which means it's an absolute leaving those things behind. In other words, you leave them and you don't go back to them. Now, that, again, that doesn't mean you can't explain them and you don't know about them, but it means that you don't suffer doubt or confusion in your faith because you haven't walked through them and understand them. You know, he, so in other words, you don't keep going back and going, well, what about the resurrection from the dead? I don't know. You know, what about eternal judgment? I mean, I knew there was some, well, I used to hear about it, but then now there's these new pastors that are writing books that say, well, that there's really not a hell and that no God that really loves could, could you know, whatever, send anybody to hell. And so, well, that sounds kind of good. So maybe that's more true now. Maybe God has changed it a little bit, you know, because our culture, the way it is, and God has to relate to our culture, of course. And so, No, stop it. Stop it. The word doesn't change. In fact, we're going to read that. So let me just wait till we get there. I get ahead of myself. So this is, again, where it gets a little bit difficult. Because I got to hurry. Four, it is impossible. There's that word again. Impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gifts and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of good word, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Oh, my goodness. What, 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 what is, again, the, the, the saying to us? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and assume that I am going to, through my exposition, clear up everybody's questions about this and these verses, right? But what I'm hoping to do is at least lay it out and take you through an inductive Bible study sense of how I look at them and why I just let them speak what they speak, right? Because I do not want to apply some kind of preconceived idea based on some systematical theology that man invented about why it can't say that because God says this. And so we grab onto one verse and we discount other verses and we say, well, it all has to be in this basket because God wouldn't go in that basket. Well, I know there's those scriptures that say there's that basket, but we're going to ignore those today just so we can make this our basket. That's, I do not see what God wants me to understand. He wants me to understand the fullness of who he is. That's why Paul could clearly say to the Ephesian elders, like, look, I am not guilty of the blood of any man's hands because I I, I did not cease but to give you the full counsel of God's word. I gave it to you all. I told you from A to Z. So I'm not guilty of any of you guys if you don't get it. I'm going to be a Paul today, right? So, and again, I believe that in every way, the author, you know, he said he starts out with four. So that's connecting it with verse three. So God is going to help us with this. So this is an encouraging thing. This is not saying that this is where they were. Paul is saying, I don't want, I want to make sure you don't go here, but this is not where you are. And we can understand that even by what we can read in verse nine, where it says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So in other words, and even though I have to warn you, even though God would have me right now to let you know this is possible, because why? God, he's not facetious. He's not some like grumpy old guy that sits up there, even though you might think that if you've looked at some old paintings from the church days, right? 
He is not up there with a lightning bolt in one hand and the flower, you know, bouquet in the other. And it's like, what's, what am I going to play, do with Jonah's life today? You know, or how am I going to mess around with this? You know, no, he's always dealing with us to move us more forward in faith to our heavenly home with him. He came and died for us. He's very serious about us making it home to heaven. But one thing he will not do as a gracious, loving father is violate my free will. I can choose. I always have a choice. Now, in his love, man, he is going to come after me. He's going to leave the 99. He is going to bring circumstance, consequence, situation, and awareness into my life that is always going to try to get me to turn back to him, the one who loves my soul and has redeemed it. He's always going to do that. But there is also a choice I have. And, and he wants me to be very clear about it. So just to establish that. So first, he starts out with those who once were. That term in the Greek, it means at one time, holy and altogether were this. Okay? This is those people. They were enlightened. First Peter 2.9 talks about that. They tasted of the heavenly gifts, Ephesians 2, 8. Already shared that one this morning. They were partakers of the Holy Spirit, Acts 15, 7 and 8. They tasted the good word of God, 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 4. And they knew the powers of the age to come, Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to let you look them up themselves, yourselves because I don't want to take the time to go through them all because there's so much that I want to make sure we're clear about, right? But after reading those, would you agree that this is someone who has salvation? You don't need to answer out loud, but you better know that you know how to answer it between you and God because he certainly gave us a list that seems pretty much like my experience with him, right? If... They fall away, and would you agree? You know, and some would, well, some would teach that they can't. You can't. You can't fall away. But Paul says here, if, so there's a choice in there, they fall away, how can you, or can you, let me put it this way, can you fall away from someplace you've never been? That'd be kind of a really difficult change challenge of, of craziness, right? No. And no believer, no unbeliever, nobody who's never been in this place could put the Son of God to open shame or could crucify him again because they'd never crucified him in the first place. They'd never received the crucifixion as their sacrifice in repentance. So this is not to non-believers. This is not to unbelievers. This is to those who, by going back to a sacrificial system, going back to offerings of what they were doing, the lamb they were able to bring, the laying on of their hands to that lamb's head before its throat was slit and it paid then for their sacrifice, that would put then the sacrifice that Christ made for them to shame. Obviously, then he died for nothing. Obviously, then it was just a man nailed to a cross. What a shame. How embarrassing that he actually thought he was God and he did that. That's what it would be saying if I went back to the lamb and the goat and the sheep. See, and that's what the author is saying right here. It's impossible to restore them. If, if, it, if, if it was impossible, the author here, I mean, he wouldn't even be trying. But right away, he's warning, he's trying to interject to watch out for this. Now, I do want to say that in Matthew chapter 19, and again in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, it says that what is impossible with man is not impossible with God. All things are possible with God. So that is where we have to, again, be open to this. But these are born-again believers. And if they fall away, and to fall away means to deviate from the right path, it's not talking about the righteous path. It's just talking in the language. It means to deviate from the right path, to fall aside, to error. Apostate. And the word apostate means someone who was once here and now has moved over here. 
in their understanding, in their belief, in their way of, of, of knowing about God. And again, remember, these were once Jews. They were Hebrews. The, they were law followers, right? And so now they were free in Christ, and they were being drawn back to an orthodoxy that was about religious practice, tradition, you know, ritual, and the author is saying, no, 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 don't do it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, you have become estranged. He's talking to the Galatians about the same thing. Remember, who has bewitched you, you Galatians? You began in the spirit. Are you now going to finish in the flesh? So he says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. What's grace? God's unmerited favor. Being accepted by God, being welcomed and being able to enjoy salvation, relationship and life with him. Because why? You've placed your faith. You are resting in. Remember we talked about the rest that God has for us to go into. That is in Jesus Christ. This is where you need to be, I need to be, in believing what he's done for us. And again, it's impossible, he says, to renew them because, and again, those that fall away, we're not talking about losing our salvation. It's not, salvation's not like car keys. You know, you don't get up every morning and say, oh my gosh, where did I put it today? <laughs> you know, it's like, we are talking about those that have departed or diverted from the right path, they have fallen aside off that path, or they have gone into error. They've chosen, right? And if they have departed, why is it impossible? Because if they've departed from that path of salvation that is in Jesus Christ alone, his own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I think I've shared with you before that I was at a party once. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a wild, crazy party, right? This was after Christ. But we were at a, we were at a gathering. It was actually at a barn. It was, uh, Rihanna, it was like the end of one of her horse riding session seasons. And we were there, and there was a mom there who had her daughter there, and the mom was talking to me, and she found out I was a pastor. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, Christian. And I was like, yeah, I'm Christian. You know, and she's like, oh, you know, I so, you know, I, I love the teachings of Christ. I'm like, oh, that's a good thing. You know, she's like, yeah, I love where he says, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and that, that he's so trying to teach us that we have that Christ essence in us, that we are Christ. And, I, and, I, and, and I'm like, what? And then she starts doing this to me. She's touching me. Okay, she's pointing to my forehead and she goes, yeah, he was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm like, no, that's not what he was saying because this way, truth, and life ain't getting you nowhere when it comes to God, all right? It's he alone because he even concludes by saying, no man comes to the Father but by me. And yet, see, that this was that error. She's an error. She's saying she's a Christian, but she's apostate. She's taken a truth and twisted it to her own understanding, which in the end will lead to death. That's what we have to make sure we didn't, we, we, we don't go down that, you know? So well, well, how do you understand this? Well, you understand it like in Exodus chapter 8. Pharaoh would not let God's people go, right? God, in fact, so wanted Pharaoh to believe that he sent plagues unbelievable plagues. I mean, this stuff doesn't just pop up every day, right? There was like the gnats out of nothing and there was, you know, the frogs coming and all this. I mean, just crazy stuff, right? And yet, Pharaoh, it says, it keeps saying that Pharaoh hardened his heart. I'm not going to believe that's God. It's just you, Moses, and, and my sorcerers can do the same thing. Except they couldn't do the gnat thing because they couldn't produce life. Only God can bruise life. But anyway, um, you know, he's, he's arguing, he's reasoning in his mind, right? And so it just says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But when you get into Exodus chapter 9, all of a sudden it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What? Is God unjust? Is God unfair? Is God cruel that he would harden a man's heart against believing? No. He gave Pharaoh the belief that he wanted, the heart that he had chosen to have. 
The same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. And so he just chose to give Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted, a hard heart against knowing who he was. That's the truth of what goes on here. There are those that don't accidentally just lose salvation. No, they fall away. They go off that truth that God has revealed to them. And then what is he supposed to do? There is no other truth. It's Jesus or nothing. See, that's what provokes us. That's what steers us. That's what gives us compassion. And that's why the world more and more hates us. Because we won't compromise. We can't compromise. He's the only way. Truth and life. Nobody comes to the Father but by him. How can you say that? I didn't say it. Jesus did. I'm only repeating what my Lord and Master says. Well, stop it. Well, I can't do that. Whether it's right to believe God or man, you be the judge. But all we can do is testify what we have known and seen. Disciples, book of Acts. Where are you today? Who are you today, right? Man. He'll, again, he will go after the, the one He'll leave the 99. He corrects. He chastens. He brings consequence. He brings plagues. He wants you. But if you refuse to listen, what can he do? Now, John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And my father who gave them to me, no one will snatch them out of his hand for the father is even greater. Security, confidence, assurance of being in Christ, right? But then in John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and it withers. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Contrast, contradiction. Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. No, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, you stay with me as much as I say I will stay with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Will you do that same for me? Oh, but by the way, lip service is cheap. So I want you to have evidence that you're really true. That evidence is called fruit bearing. What do you see in your life that you know, that you know, that you know who you are to God? He knows. He wants you to know. Right? And so we should see that, right? Because, man, these are those that have chosen to walk away from the true faith in Christ. And even James says, right, that faith without works, without fruit, is dead faith. What do you expect dead faith to get you? Right? Now, again, this is not the unpardonable sin. This is not the Holy Spirit drawing someone and they refuse to yield to Christ revealing himself to them. This is not that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is saying, come, and you're going, no. This is those that have come and now are in error in going away. Now, how can you be sure... That, again, you're not doing that. Well, again, verse 7 and 8 brings it to us, right? That the, the earth receives and drinks rain and it comes upon it and it bears good stuff. It has good fruit. It cultivates herbs. You receive blessing from God. You get blessed by the fruit that God bears through your obedience to his spirit. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Near to being cursed. Jesus will not, what, crush the reed that is broken. He will not quench the little flax that's smoldering. You give him anything and he'll take it and he will help you to run by faith to the throne of glory, right? What do we read about coming in time of need, right? That you would seek help at the throne of mercy, throne of grace in time of need. That's when you'd come. And that's what he's saying here, man. Remember in the four Gospels, the parable of the sower and the seed. 
four hearts of soil, three didn't make it. First one, too hard, didn't receive the word at all. Second one, received it, but when persecution came, things got a little hard, mm, it's not worth it, backing out, pulled away, running from it. The third, maybe the most dangerous, received it, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked it, choked it out. Now, no need to see a show of hands in here. How is the world like burdening you, drawing you, affecting you? You don't have this. You don't have that. You better think about that. You're not getting any younger. You know, it's like all the burdens we have to somehow make it, secure it, and build it bigger so that we can keep up with the world around us. And the scriptures would say, fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. What have you invested in? Right? Now, again, this is not scare tactics. It's not like, man, Steve, it's like, come on, let's get to some light news. We are. We're going to get to the good stuff. But this is reality. This is what God would have us to go beyond those elementary things to understand in the depths of who he is. A righteous, loving, gracious judge. And you want to stay in that place of justification and blamelessness because you stay in that place of Jesus Christ. You stand in him. Always. Relational. Not religious. Not ritual. Relational. That's where you want to be. Where you and I want to be all the time. Man. And, and we want to keep our heart, our souls, you know, tender to him. Okay? But, sharp contrast. Beloved. Again, here's that good news coming. We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Things that, accom- oh, things that accompany salvation through, though, we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance, the full absolute confidence, that's what it's talking about, of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So again, this is where it gets into the good news. This is the ultimate encouragement is he wants us to stay in this place and to stay where we are sure and secure and settled that faith in Christ is it. Don't go anywhere else. Don't look anywhere else. In fact, keep being diligent that in every way you assure the hope that you are standing in. And how do you do that? Imitate those that are around you that through faith and patience inherit the promises. You want to be walking with, watching for, and going along with people who step out in faith. Pastor Michael. Okay, drop the mic on that. That's all I need to say. You want to be around someone who's going to hear from God, who's going to step out in faith, and praise God, 25 years, Pam, we've just been uh, just being able to walk with him and Miss Pam through some of the most outrageous, amazing things. And, 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 and yet, it's not just in faith. It's not like, oh, I'm thinking this, so I'm going to jump on that, and I think that. So No, but also exercising patience, waiting for God to show you, waiting for God to reveal. We don't step out in blind faith. We step out in faith of one who, by his spirit, leads us specifically by his word. Right, And so we want in every way to walk in that. And, and in fact, to prove it or to assure us, he brings us back to the father of faith, Abraham. We'll close out. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining 
to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Ooh, ooh, that's you and I. We are the heirs of promise. This is who he's addressing it to. The immutability, which is a really fancy word that means unchangeability, unchangeable, right? The unchangeableness of his counsel, God's counsel, confirm it by an oath that by two immutable, unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of our souls, both sure and steadfast, with which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner, the one who went out before us, has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And now he's going to start getting into that a little bit and get a little bit deeper. But you see what he's trying to do here. He's saying... Do you guys have promises from God? Has God told you things? Has God, even look at your salvation, you know? One one day, boom, I'm going down. It might be before before I finish this message. You know, it could be my time is up. I ain't that young anymore, right? And so it could be all over, or it could just be you walk outside and that, that big Mack truck just happens to take a wrong turn on 2nd Street. I don't know. But all I know is you have promises, and maybe it's for a long life, and you're waiting for God to come up with that. So he, he takes you to Abraham and he says, look at what he went through. I promised him a nation. He didn't even have a kid. I gave him a promise of an inheritance. And yet I told him to leave the inheritance of his father. Because I was going to give him something else. What has God told you is a promise, right? He, he promised the promise of Abraham to the extended Nations. In other words, he was going to bless all nations through Abraham. Of course, he's speaking of the Messiah. But he also spoke in short-term blessing, which was, those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. Ooh, double-edged sword. Be good to Israel, you're good with God. Curse Israel, ouch. That's what it's saying, right? And in fact, the promises he gave him Man, he even knew, Abraham even knew that if he was called to sacrifice Isaac, you remember the challenge, he knew God was able and faithful to raise him up from the dead to fulfill the promise. How's your promises from God? You got a promise that even if he asks you to lay it down in sacrifice, you can believe because he promised it to you that he will raise it back up? This is why he's using Abraham as his example. Now, was Abraham always perfect and steadfast? No, he got that little Ishmael issue where he decided to help God out. And even though he faltered in his faith, God remained faithful. And that's another message you need to get. It doesn't matter if you blow it because it's always been his plan anyway. It's always been his fulfillment anyway. It's always been what he has done for you that he wants you to now rest in and trust in as the fulfillment of the promise. That's what he's looking for. How long did it take Abraham to get his promise? 25 years. You think you got time. You know, your time's running out. I just turned 59. You know. So what about that? Wait, patience and faith working together, right? And again, not always perfect, but don't try to help God out when you know. Wait and trust, rest and receive, right? He even talks here about the, the idea of running to him and, you know, because he's an anchor of your soul. He's going to speak to you through his word. Abraham, see, he, he, didn't, he didn't always do good. He didn't always do right. But his saving grace was that he always anticipated God would. You know, in his faltering, he always knew somehow, but that God is the one that's going to answer. He just thought it was the wrong way that God would. See, we have to watch out for that because we want to somehow plug that plan in. And God's got one, right? And because... There wasn't anything greater for God to swear by to Abraham. He swore by himself, his own name. 
Why? Why did, he, why did God even swear? I thought we weren't supposed to swear. Well, you know what it was. He made a vow. And the reason did is because he clarifies it here. Because that puts an end to debt. You know, men are going back and forth. No, I really will. I'll pay you back the money. No, you won't. You're a liar. No, really, I swear. Yeah, so what? No, really, I swear on my mother's grave. Yeah, so what? Like, who's your mother? You know, it's like they go back and forth like that, you know? And so God, because he couldn't swear, there was nothing greater for him to swear by. He swore by his own name. No, I swear by myself. And by the way, it's immutable. It's unchangeable. I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Never change. I can't lie. Why? Because lying's a sin, and there's no darkness and no turning in me. So I don't lie. So you can bet if I've promised you something, I will fulfill it. Look at Abraham. I was faithful. That's, that's what he's saying, right? There's that whole thing in, in Matthew where we're told not to swear, you know, for, about things. Just to, our yes is to be yes and our no is to be no. But in there, they, you know, there were guys and they would say, well, I swear by the temple. And the next guy would go, well, I swear by the gold of the temple. You know, it's like, oh, that's okay. That's serious. Well, it's like, why is that serious? Well, because the temple had already been destroyed a couple of times. So what's swearing in that? But if you swear by the gold, gold is an element of earth. You can melt it, but you can't, you can't disintegrate. You can't get rid of it. It's an element. So man would jump to whatever he could that was the greatest thing. Well, that's what God did to show that an absolute you can trust his promise. You can trust his promise for it all. The promises that he's given you individually, but absolutely the promises of hope that he's given you in Jesus Christ. In Timothy 1.1, Paul identifies Jesus as our hope, the one who we have hope in. And look how he says he is. He's an anchor. So you don't want to fall away. You don't want to drift away, as Pastor Austin taught about a few weeks ago. You don't want to be in that place. How do you not? You make Christ your anchor. And the cool thing about Christ as an anchor, he doesn't anchor you to the earth. He anchors you to heaven, where he has already passed through the heavenlies and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and makes intercession for you and me daily when we blow it to say, he is mine, she's with me. That is an anchor for your soul. But, you know, we used to do that rosary thing. And I don't know, it brought me comfort. And I had that little thing I used to carry in my pocket. It was kind of like a charm thing, but, you know, it helped. I think it, and I got that thing on my dashboard, you know, that little wobbly. It's a, it, it's a lady with a blue thing on. And it, what are you trusting in? What are you adding to Jesus Christ? Because this book speaks to those sins to us as much as it did to the Hebrew that was thinking about going back to that sacrificial system. Leave it behind and rest in Christ. And it's your responsibility to do it. Right? We are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God's will. It's his good pleasure to work and to do good and his will in us. So we have God working his good will, his good pleasure in us. But we also have to work it out. Faith and patience. And we have an anchor in heaven, our forerunner, Jesus Christ, who's at the throne of God making intercession for us. So he promises, let us then come, because we have a high priest, boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you blow it, we have 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to depart that unrighteousness from you. God moves it out of sight. You once again are restored completely clean, clear in Christ, right? Philippians 1.6, being confident then of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day Jesus comes back for you. Because that was another promise he gave to us, is that he wouldn't leave us here as orphans, but he would return and take us out. Well, he's going to take us home. There's a difference, I guess being taken out and being taken home, right? And in case you haven't put your trust in him this morning, then let me just give you this from Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord Almighty, God in heaven, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
But let me go on to clarify that in Romans 10.10, it does say, for what the mouth one confesses unto salvation, there is no other way but Jesus, but once the heart one believes unto righteousness, in that you do then right things, works, fruit, because of what your mouth says, right? You back it up with a life that reveals it. And by the way, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, for all, for all, again, inductive Bible study, what does the word all mean in every language on earth? Thank you. All the promises of God in him, in Christ Jesus, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Do you understand God is glorified? As we receive promises from God by faith in Christ alone through his grace that he now showers favor upon us with and we don't go nowhere else. So when somebody asks you why and how come and what's it look like, you don't say Starbucks. That's another story. I won't get into it. But what you do is give glory to God because that is why you have such joy, such hope and such confidence in what he has done for you and where you're going because of it. It's all about Jesus. Amen?